0: in association with Biber Goalkeeping. It's a Sumlin preview show back again after a week away. Sumlin have had a break due to the international fixtures to play Swindon Town for the first time since I believe the 6th of February 1999. So safe to say it's been a while so to get us up to speed on our opponents this Saturday we've got Rich from the Loth Strangers podcast. How are you doing Rich? Are you all right?
1: Hello. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. And I didn't really realize how how difficult the "low strangers" title was. Everyone seems to struggle with it, but you did it. You did very well.
0: I've got to be honest. When I started saying it, I was like, "I'm going to have to restart this on there" because I thought I was going to get it wrong. But I was all right. It's a bit like that word "social distancing." Sometimes you say "social" and you think I can't quite get that out, but I'm I'm getting there, mate. I'm not too bad, so I'm pleased that I didn't do. I well, first take, not too bad. I'm getting by. Um. As I kind of alluded to in the intro, uh, first things first, I guess. What's been going on with Swindon for the past twenty-one years? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything, I think, um, pretty much. So previously on Swindon Town, we've had <laughs> administrations, we've had, uh, we've had just chaos. We've had a few good ones. So we we saw the good side, or the successful side of Paolo Di Canio, for example. Um, we've been mostly well. Almost exclusively by one season um, in League One and Two. So, um, you last played us in our death rattle during our championship era. I remember very well that when you won the league in 1998, you took probably had more fans at the county ground that day than Swindon fans because we gave you our sort of like uh, the, our, our home end behind the goal, which I remember causing loads of outrage at the time but you know we've got to make that money somehow yeah it's been it's been mostly very stressful um but isn't it all for lower league football clubs right yeah i'm
0: getting used to it yeah because i I can now identify as a lower league football (laughs) fan which is it's kind of humbling in a way if i'm honest but i remember that game actually it was i think it was our first away game of the season and it was one of those seasons where we won pretty much every game. But I think that was 1-1, one, one, if I remember rightly. on Ura
1: and Kevin Phillips, of course, I think for some. Reason. Played at the county ground. So that was very early on, one um The one where you, you sold out was the championship. So um, that was a few months few months before. So I think it was the last game of the season. And then we played you early on again in, so in the awesome. other. And not many people turned up to that because we're not in a good way. It's really weird, actually, because I look back now. And I, I, I remember how miserable we all were back then as Swindon fans because our owners were were not great. We had Steve McMahon, who although you know took us back to the Championship at the first attempt, he he didn't you know he wasn't very popular. Let's put it that way. And now we look back after like three League Two seasons and almost exclusively after that League One, of course. I look back and think, well, we were getting four, five, six thousand in the Championship we weren't happy and what we wouldn't give now for a bit of that but it was it was really a dire era but Sunderland were a great team back then obviously you had Kevin Phillips you had Nicky Summerbee. more importantly um yes. ex-Swindon so it, it was it was a really exciting team Sunderland back then I mean playoffs aside you know it was it was a good side you just moved into that stadium of light and you always had managed to get the right players in it, it, was, it was it was it was quite fun watching Sunderland back then.
0: It was a golden era for me that I think it would have been about 13, 14, 15 and I, I remember the game you are speaking about it was it was 2-1 and I think we had to win and hope Middlesbrough didn't and it obviously went into the playoffs but I remember that game vividly for one of Kevin Phillips' best ever Sunderland goals when he took it down on the chest and sort of turned in heady days for us and as you said before Nicky Somerby obviously I think liked at both clubs obviously massively liked here been on the podcast as well with ourselves brilliant guy as well <laughs> if, if a little bit mental um, <laughs> in terms of current day I think it would be fair to say you've got a, a young up-and-coming manager. seems you're building up a really good reputation in the game with uh, Richie Willens. So for someone who's probably been in League One for the past three seasons and previously the Championship and Premiership, I suppose we don't know a great deal about Richie Willens, but what's his career been like in Swindon like in a nutshell, basically?
1: Yeah, very impressive, really. So he arrived um, almost two years ago now, believe it or not, and he replaced Phil Brown. Um, who didn't have a very good short spell with Swindon. And when Richie Wellens was announced, it was pretty much straight after the announcement that Brown had left. So you can clearly see that he was lined up. And the the reaction to Richie Wellens's appointment wasn't positive generally across the fan base. I'm always, I wouldn't say glass half full, but I always give any guy a chance, you know, if when they come in and if they want the job, they're going to get some respect from me. Um, But unfortunately, you know what social media is like, a lot of people really (laughs) do jerk those knees around and tell us exactly what they think and credit to them because they don't delete their comments a couple of years later. Because when you look back at those, those tweets now and those messages now, people look really quite foolish. But what Richie Wellens did, is he instantly complained about the quality of his squad. So for the remaining three quarters of that season, he was very much along the lines of, this is not my team. This is not my team. This is not my team. And we actually finished that season in our worst position since 1984. So it, it was really bad for Swindon. It was mid-table league too, but you know that's not acceptable really. And But he managed, he was just like, just trust me, once I get my players in, and then he started this little revolution at the start of the 2019-20 season. We play a good brand of football. That was beginning to become more and more apparent as his players did arrive and his, his his loan network and things like that brought in some great players. And we really did strike it lucky, really, with Owen Doyle last season because he had a purple patch like no other. And it's been very hard to replace him, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, later. But just everything seemed to click and go right. I do think... We got a little bit fortunate with the suspension and ending of our season. I don't necessarily, I'm still not convinced we would have actually won league two out over 46 games. I'm pretty convinced we would have gone up second or third though. So therefore we were up there all season and we thoroughly enjoyed it because we played some bloody good stuff. And, you know, when things went wrong, they went, you know, free nil sort of wrong, but that didn't happen that much. And he just, he just, Got everything right that year, and he's very upfront. He's very honest, except in, you know, press conferences where he'll say somebody won't play, and then they'll be on the team sheet. So when you when you read Richie Con, uh, Richie Wellens's quotes from the press conference ahead of the Sunderland game, I take them with a pinch of salt because he does like to throw a few uh, you know curveballs out there. But ultimately, I think what's Really helped him is his honesty and his his he'll he'll, he'll, say, he'll say it he'll say it how it is you know if things aren't great he'll say they're not great he won't try and polish a turd so to speak although against Wimbledon he was a bit like overly you know positive about a bit of it and it wasn't a great day for Swindon so yeah he's he's really good he was a good footballer down our way in the lower leagues I don't think he made the Premier League he was with Manchester United but he was yeah, always so. a midfielder that everybody wanted. Um, If you played football manager or championship manager back then, if you started in the lowers, (laughs) Richie Wellens was always a good signing. And that was reflected. He's a very good player with Leicester and Doncaster and Blackpool, um, amongst others. And it's really good that it's, 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 it's going well for him. We are under a little bit of a sticky patch for the first time. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he gets out of it because his last season in League One was with Oldham and they got relegated. So he'll want to make sure that he doesn't repeat that, or at least come close to repeating that, because yeah. you know he 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 is an up and coming manager.
0: It's a he's, a he's an interesting appointment, I suppose. At the time, and I suppose it was one of those ones being in League One that kind of goes over your head. You hear about it, but you don't sort of maybe sit and think about it unless you're in the same division. But I suppose you know he's got a good education from when he was young, coming through Manchester United, probably the best at the time, the the biggest best manager. That, well depending on how you what you think but of modern era definitely Sir Alex would have been someone that would have been great for him and then he's you know he's done his time in the the low leagues as you said as a good player key player in a lot of clubs and like league one and, and the championship I think it was with Leicester as well so I suppose it's maybe not as surprising as it should be but there's been a few a few clubs that have been linked to him have you ever been worried about losing him at any point or do you think he's pretty much here for the project
1: um, we'll we'll lose him. We're we're League One team, you know. Every manager has a price and an ambition, and long are the days where you'll find people go. No, he's committed to Swindon Town because you know he lives in Manchester or Solihull. Well, he lives up there, and um, and the other clubs will come. Swoman, he's 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 still very much in the uh, only United sort of mould. But yeah. you know, if a team like Sunderland came in, you know, or anything like that, who's going to turn that down? He is. I think he's here as long as the owner is here. I'm not convinced how long the owner will be here for. Um, The owner isn't hugely popular in Swindon. You know, he's kept us afloat. We've not had any HMRC sort of um, uh, warnings or court hearings since his ownership, which is very rare for Swindon. Um, (laughs) Even more popular owners have had those letters through the door. So, you know how he's done it, I don't know. I don't want to speculate how he's done it, but we're still here. He's, he's... well, in's is perfect for the philosophy that the owner does, so that's where why it works. And if a new owner came in and with new ideas, then maybe Richie will go on his way. But I'm not sure how high his stock is outside of Swindon because even. At the end of our season, he didn't get the League Two Manager of the Year award. He was the only title winning manager who didn't win that award. I think it went to Cruz, the crew manager and the the Plymouth manager and the Cheltenham manager and every other manager gets sort of more more praise than Richie Wellens does, which, you know, maybe me being an angsty Swindon fan, I don't really care, to be honest, as long as he stays at Swindon and does a good job with us. Um, But his time will come. And you know, there's always a concern about it, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. This, it's, COVID, and all this malarkey has made it very hard to gauge sort of where his head is at because mm. he hasn't had the transfer market he would have wanted. But when you're trying to balance the books and ensure the club exists, you know, we haven't been able to maybe push as as strongly in all areas of the field as as, as we might have wanted we're very top-heavy on one side of the pitch and very weak in the other, which may be down to our own recruitment, but it also could be down to, you know, the sort of wages that are out there.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, obviously, you've got the, the wage cap that's come in place. You've also got the situation with COVID. It's probably one of the worst times to be sort of any sort of club at this level trying to recruit, especially if you're newly promoted and trying to identify areas, which you've probably identified in, like, March, thinking, well, if we go up, we need this, this, and this. And also, you've, you've lost players as well. Before I go on to that, um. Looking at your opening five games, I think obviously there's been the Cup games in between, but it's hard to judge those games if feel like extra preseason, really. Um, it's been a bit of a tricky start, like chinks of light, so to speak, like a, a big win over Burton, who I know they've had a lot of upheaval, Burton, but I still think they're a good side. I don't think it was bad as people make out. Um, followed it like up with a defeat away to Peterborough, not not the worst result on the planet. You maybe expected that, you don't chalk that one down as season defining, but then a home defeat to Wimbledon. So
1: what have you made of the start? Well, up until the Wimbledon loss, I think it's pretty much been what we expected. We'll lose against the teams that are going to be up there and we beat the teams that aren't predicted to be up there. So Rochdale on the opening day, they, they weren't very good. They, they yeah. were very, very poor and Swindon made the most of some very sloppy defending. And then we went up to Blackpool, which was quite an emotive fixture for, for various weird reasons because we lost a, a player to them over the summer, and then they signed a player that we really wanted to sign, who was who was with us last season, and it created this sort of this vibe that they had signed half of our team. But the reality is they'd only signed one player yeah. plus one on on who was on loan from us. So you know they'll say two, but. We lost that. We always lose those sort of highly emotive games, be derbies or grudge matches or teams against sort of like historically bigger sides, which is where I think Sunderland might fall into. Burton was a good performance um, and we still gave away sloppy goals. And then Peterborough is one of those ones that at the start of the season, we would have gone, well, we'll lose that. But Wimbledon would have been one of those games where we at home we would have hoped to win. It doesn't take an expert on Swindon Town to realise what, what the issue is this season so far. And that's just by looking at the scores. We are conceding way too many goals and, and it is reflected. It's not bad luck. We are conceding sloppy goals and our defending hasn't been that great so far. We are a couple of bodies short and we do have players that do get find themselves injured quite often. They're great names, and when they're playing, they're absolutely invaluable, but they're not in the team enough. And when we move into this sort of second string and we start moving from people from the right to the left against Wimbledon, we played a midfielder at right back and it did not go well. Um, and that's what the issue is. It really is as simple as that. When when we're our attacking players are brilliant, the new guys have come in, have done really well. But when they have an off day, you get a 1-0 home loss against Wimbledon. And it's... And that's not what we need at the moment. And then when you see the fixtures that we've got coming up, which includes Sunderland and even more importantly, the Oxford game, that's when the fans start to get a little bit nervous. I guess the blessing is there's no fans in the ground to really um, show that and reflect that to the players, but they'll be under pressure coming into the Oxford game. So they'll need good performances against Sunderland. Even if we don't get a win, we need to be seeing them to be playing well. And then against Northampton as well
0: what's quite interesting about sort of certain teams obviously we've been here three years now so there's certain teams you've come up against and you kind of almost know what's going to happen with them swindon and crew are our next two games that's kind of a i suppose unknown territory for us because we haven't played those teams for the, the best part of 20 plus years now you have the likes of bristol rovers even though there's no fans there they'll come to some end away they'll sit 10 uh, like 10 men behind the ball, well, 11 men behind the ball. Um, they'll time waste. They'll, they'll do everything they can to maybe pinch a point. Is Swindon likely to do the same or do you think you'll actually have a bit of a go at us?
1: We'll probably have a go, especially what Swindon tend to do is they give every opposition a hell of a go in the first 10 to 20 minutes. So that's when we are really pressuring, really pressing, trying to get you. We've got some fast players that, that like to hit. And then, the key was what Wimbledon did is they weathered that and then they just sort of stifled us out of the game. So um, we'll give you a go. Whether it's good enough is, is, but we, I've, I've not seen a Richie Wellens team put 10 players behind the ball and then hoof um, in, in a competitive fixture. So I'd be very surprised um, if, if that was the case. Um, I think we'll we'll give you a go. That might result in us losing three 0 It might result us in, in winning two one or whatever. But it, it, I don't. I don't see us playing ultra defensive. We can't really. We've got. We've got to win these games. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't anticipate. Crew are a good football team as well as so football yeah. inside. So they'll. Will Richie Wellins prides himself on wanting to get these sort of scalps, these sort of results. Um,
0: yeah, there'll be a lot of Sunderland <laughs> um, fans listening to that. To be fair, and hearing something maybe you might think that we might quite enjoy the fact that, you know, teams sometimes sit back as like when we can have a goal, but the problem that you've got is with Sunderland, we're very prone to conceding in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes against teams that come and have a goal. Then they sit back for the best part of the sort of 80 or 75 minutes after that. So if you get an early goal, it could be annoyingly a bit of a, a bit of a Sunderland game, but um. I was looking at the the game on Saturday against Wimbledon and you know I, I really like Wimbledon because of obvious reasons, and I think everyone likes them as opposed to MK Don's, but I was looking at the stats, watched some of the highlights, and obviously 90 minutes is different to sort of five minutes on on quest, I guess, but it was hugely in your favor in terms of shots on goal. Wimbledon scored from their only shot on target. Um, you touched a little bit before about how this is not so much the problem, so I suppose I will ask, but you lost the likes of, you know, Eon Doyle, Jerry Yates, who was someone that we were allegedly looking at in pre-season, but you scored eight and five. It doesn't indicate there's a problem up front, but does Saturday's game concern you that that could become a problem or do you think it's just a one-off?
1: Um, we. It's funny because last year we had definitive goal scorers. So we had Owen Doyle, who scored 25, yeah. and we had Jerry Yates, who scored about 15 16 and this and we had no real contribution from midfield this year our centre forwards aren't scoring many in the league but our midfielders are all scoring so it's we're getting we're getting a um, a bit of an even spread which is what we needed but i don't know i mean i, I don't see any issue with we're, we're very industrious going forwards there is plenty to be optimistic about brett Pittman is has been brought in to fill the owen doyle role And he is already getting those accusations of Doyle would have scored that. But it's just one of those things. And Pittman's, he's done it, been there, done that. And he just needs to get his rhythm. He was a bit behind with pre-season before he joined Swindon. So he really will need to start scoring some more goals soon. But we have enough creativity from midfield to cause issues, even if the centre-forward isn't scoring. So we do need it. Um, we do need him to start. It's all more symbolically, isn't it, really? Um, with your center forwards, with your number nines. I mean, you guys know all about that up in the northeast. That it's, it's a sacred position and you need them to be superstars. And we're no different. But as long as it's our guys have been sc- are scoring elsewhere, then I'm not really concerned at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, in in League One, especially for, and I hope I'm obviously not offending any Swindon fans here, but I imagine consolidation League One would be perfect for you this season. And in a sense, unless you want to kind of win the league, i.e. a Peterborough, you know, hopefully us, I think you can kind of get by by sharing the goals between and maybe getting a midfielder that'll get you 10 goals a season. I think the difference between the teams in this league are if you've got someone that can get you 25 goals, i.e. like an Ivan Tony or someone like that, you're always going to be there or thereabouts in in this league. And I think that's probably been the problem with Sunland is we can get 10 goals from a midfielder to get us into the playoffs. We can't get Will Grigg, Charlie Wyke, or so far, Danny Graham to hit a bondo um, with a banjo. But you, you spoke about before about Brett Pittman. Um, many people will know Brett Pittman at, at Sunderland, not because he's been that good against us, just because he's a bit of a bastard, really. Mm. Um, he's not the most well-liked man on the side because he's a bit of a annoying being there, done that, as you said, League One, sort of centre-forward. What did you make of his signing when you first brought him in? Because he's very different to Eon Doyle, I, I would imagine, from what I've seen
1: Yeah, um, I've seen Brett Pittman quite a few times over the years with Bournemouth and Bristol City, and he was always one of these players that used to score but looked knackered, (laughs) always looked like he was, he he always looked like he was like, he would score a 20-yarder because it was far more simple than to sort of try and get into the box somehow, and he would score this magnificent goal, but, you know, just absolutely drained and he's only just come on as a sub, you know. That's That's what my memory of Brett Pittman was. Lower league fans, it's hard because it sounds patronizing. And I'm a lower league fan and I don't mean to do it. But because it's Brett Pittman, it created a lot more excitement. Yeah. Had it been if we signed a Darlington player who scored 40 goals in the National League South, you know, because we we look at his stats, you go on his Wikipedia page, you see the goals that he scores at League One level, and you think, right, that's it. So that's 15 goals done, secured. But he, yeah, it's he's, 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 he's the term shit house, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. the one that, that people use. But you've got Maguire. And uh, I mean, Maguire has got serious history with Swindon being an ex Oxford. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of him celebrating in the county ground. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's going to, luckily, there's no, I don't think there'll be any Swindon player surviving from that era left. But, you know, Maguire will be well up for that. And he's the equivalent. So it'll be, it'll probably be a story of, which shit house causes the most shit in the house on Saturday, <laughs> to be honest. And um, we'll take it from there. But yeah, he, I my reaction was fine. That's good. He's getting a bit older. I mean, he always had this accusation of being like quite overweight, but he seems all right. He seems in, in all right, Nick, but he just needs to get his fitness levels up. He's getting there, um, but he needs to get a couple more goals because, because of the Doyle comparison, which is completely unfair, but here we are, but yeah, he's 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 never really caused us any mischief. He's probably played at a higher level or been just played for better teams when when we played him. He's I don't remember us having having any run-ins with him, but I can certainly see that it's a part of his um part of his game.
0: Yeah, it's definitely part of his makeup from what I remember. I remember him shouting at a ball boy in the, the playoff semi-final. Poor twelve-year-old is getting <laughs> screened at by him. Um but we won, so well, one over the two legs, so that worked out on that night. Um in terms of Maguire, I did want I did want to come on to one, but before I go into sort of our players and and your view on our players, outside of obviously Pittman and the players that you've you've mentioned, which players should someone be looking out for?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it, it, it kind of is one of those things where it depends what sort of game they're having. I like Johnny Smith, who's a player that we've got on loan from Bristol City. Yeah, so I've got him down in my predictions to be the guy that really is. Um, the consistent performer over 46 games. I don't necessarily think he'll win the awards, but I think he'll be the one that creates a little bit of magic. Um, Jack Payne is very good, but we yeah, were given warnings about him being, when he's good, he's amazing, but there will be five games that follow where he'll be off the radar completely. But to be honest, this is League One. That is what League One football tends to be. Pretty much. Um, exactly. So, so I don't, I'm not really concerned with that. Um, yeah, I would, I would say, you know, Johnny Smith's my, my guy on, on, on that front. So we've had Tyler Smith in, I mean, we made a bit of press recently because, you know, almost all of our signings were called Smith, including our go uh, our goalkeeper, who's called Matty Kovach, which is Smith in check, believe it or not. So it, it was, you know, we, we went for a week. We've got a lad from Leeds called Jordan Stevens on loan. He's very, very excited. He was absolutely dog poo at right back on um on saturday against wimbledon but he'll if he goes back into his natural position he'll cause issues um we kind of play with one up front with two wingers and one like in the number 10 i suppose yeah um just behind the center forward and that's what we like to do so just bringing it in for the tap ins essentially just playing it in the wings and um going in from there but we've got got good i would say that front line is to look for because when they're working when they're working well, they are pretty intimidating, quite impressive, really. And that's where we get those. Oh, that's interesting. But almost all of them are new. Yeah. Um, I mean in 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 midfield we also have people like Anthony Grant, who's really, really popular with Swindon fans. He won the Player of the Year Award last year. He's just your know, sort of midfield general who will sweep up and he'll he'll put in nasty tackles which are fair but on the borderline if he if he needs to. If you get him booked early on, that's sort of waters down his game a little bit Was Shrewsbury, um, right? It was Is the, that right was it he was at shrewsbury yeah, yeah he was at shrewsbury so only for he's, he's he's been around the grounds really in league one and league two um we had a very good season with him in league two and now you know i've seen him loads of times over the years against teams that we used to beat five nil four nil yeah so you know it's 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 odd but he was so good for us last year so so good um our attack is what to look out for. Not necessarily our centre-forward, but our wingers, DJ uh, Jayasimi, He when he plays well, he's very, very, very good as well. He's not had a great start to the season, which is why I'm going to stick with Johnny Smith there.
0: Now, talking of... We talked about Nicky Somerby before as a player <laughs> that's played for both, and also Gareth Hall, which will put absolute tremors down every Sunderland fan's uh, memories. If, if you're old enough to remember Gareth Hall, the worst right-back in the history of right-backs. Um but in terms of names I was looking for and thinking, right, who's played for Swindon? Nick, some was the first one. But then, of course, you start searching play for Sunderland or Sunderland and Swindon and the name Paolo de Canio comes up and then you go, aha. Now, I'll openly admit he's responsible for one of the greatest scenes and one of the best memories I've ever had as a Sunderland manager, obviously in the Newcastle derby, the Paolo de Canio derby. But in truth, he was an absolute failure. Just didn't work in any way, shape, size or form. And we've all heard the stories on Cy podcast numerous times. Um, obviously, Swindon as well, ex-Swindon. But Paolo de Canio has heralded, or, or, or looked at in quite good memories from the outside looking in. But how is Paolo Di Canio viewed by,
1: by fans of Swindon? Yeah, it's interesting, really, because I think we're getting, it's eight years, seven years since he left Swindon now. And it's now finally beginning to become history a little bit more, where it used to be the go-to, what we need is a Decanio. You know, that, that used to be every time we had a new manager, what we need is a Decanio. and now slowly a new era fans are coming in and the Decanio season and a half is becoming a little bit more like folklore. Yeah. Decanio's um Swindon career didn't start great. It was very, very poor the start. It was all promises and then we you know we lost to oxford like we usually do and and we lost and it was quite a few games and we were well down there and then it just clicked they were quite aggressive that the canio's swindon success was down to a board an owner a chairman who just relentlessly did whatever DeCanio wanted if he wanted three players He got his three players and the aftermath of it almost killed Swindon Town. But he gave us one hell of a a season. So that 2011-2012, we hadn't won a league trophy since, you know, before that it was 96. So he gave us silverware for the first time in years. And it was aggressive, ruthless, really entertaining football that he provided and then he threw a hissy fit and left because the elements weren't going his way. Swindon were getting broke. The owner, well, the the person putting the money in, said no more, and he walked. Which is a measure of the man, in my opinion. If he if he would have just, you know, he if he would have stuck around for just two months, if that if that financer would have just stuck around for two months, we would have been in the championship. It really is as simple as that. And they all sort of they all talk about doing it for the fans and doing it for the club, but they all walked, and who are left? the fans yeah. to um, see another implosion, but it was usually entertaining. I'll be telling my kids and my grandkids about, about the Dicaneo era. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of his appointment. I will say that, you know, I don't like his politics, um, but that's nothing to do with football. So I was willing, I didn't boycott or anything like that. I was living in the Northeast at the time when, when he was appointed. So it wasn't that much of an issue. Um, I did go when, when I moved back down South and I think that never sat well with me. So I never had a huge, I didn't drink the Di Canio Kool-Aid like other fans did. And, you know, at the same time, I wasn't like told you so when it all popped. We all knew it would burst that bubble. We all knew. We enjoyed it while it it lasted. And, you know, some of the moments that that happened during Di Canio's tenure, some of my happiest memories as an adult following football and some of the bad things that happened during that time are some of the worst, um, as an adult following football as well just because it was so close and so far um, but yeah, never a dull moment under that, especially nearer to the end where there were just all sorts happening, just crazy times.
0: With Paolo, it's funny I think he managed us for about 13 games like 13, year one 2 one of them being a 3-0 win over Newcastle, one of them being a 1-0 win over Everton in his first two out of the first three games I think and everything else including a 6-1 defeat against Villa just the season afterwards was just horrendous and obviously he brought a few pals in, uh, the Fante and stuff like that. But even though we only had him for 13 games, like you said, there was never a dull moment. But what was, in terms of his time at Swindon, the most mental De Canio memory that you have?
1: His press conferences would notoriously go on forever. And he would say the most ridiculous things. Um, but when you he, he did awful stuff, really. He bombed out a town legend who was youth coach, Paul Bowden, who bombed out his son, who went on to have a decent career He's at Preston, now Billy Bowden. Um, he did all sorts of bad stuff, but because you're winning and you're doing well, the fans, we just ignored it, really. And it's not until you pick it up, the debris, do you really realise. But it's always tough to talk about Paolo Di Canio without sounding like you're retrospectively slagging him off. I cannot emphasise, it was a really enjoyable season where we played loads and loads of great football and we won some really good games and things like that but the legacy is now trying to sort of like you find yourself in an argument you're either like I would have him back in a heartbeat or I just know and you know that, that that argument still continues to this day just about.
0: It's funny how similar that is with Sunderland to be fair we have a certain I would say a certain element of fans who, who like this kind of it's authority approach because we felt on the leagues and I think a few people felt like, you know, maybe he was the one who seen through their bullshit and if we'd kind of stuck with someone like him, it might've worked for for me. I preferred the Gus Poyet approach of maybe slightly mental, slightly authoritarian, (laughs) but actually not completely off the planet. Um, The big thing with Paolo was when we got him because of the name that he is, because of probably the politics that come with him, which unfortunately they do, even if you try to go away from it, it became a little bit of a circus at the beginning until we beat Newcastle and it became like almost like a siege mentality, like us against the world sort of thing, which was yeah. quite a good memory at the time, looking back in hindsight. But when he first got appointed at Sunderland, were you quite surprised that he jumped that many leagues that fast and could you see the disaster happening before it even happened?
1: Kind of like it didn't surprise, but you could see the disaster because if the cameo- the fact is, De Canio hasn't worked in management since Sunderland, so the damage was done. You know, what he did at Sunderland behind the scenes, probably more than anything, was enough to scare off English or British clubs forever, probably. Um, Swindon Town drunk the Kool-Aid, but I, I wasn't surprised because we would have been a championship team if De Canio stayed. If the elements were exactly the same as they were months before, he would have he he would have took us up to the championship and God only knows what would have happened after that. So, you know, I think what he should have done, you know, hindsight being a great thing, he should have just stayed at Swindon, just added more stock to his, his, his resume. And then it would have been far less surprising, but because of the circus of his exit, it was maybe a little bit surprising that he walked straight into a Premier League side, but he, he, famously it was always mentioned not by him that he was top of the class when he got his badges you know that's where he met fabrizio Picaretta, you know it was during his badges where he did that and he was really impressed by him and you know the theory i think he's one of these people that you know will pass the exams but when you do the theory you've got to you've got to give a little as well you can introduce your regime your preferences and things like that but bombing out players because they've just had a baby and they want to look after their wife and child, which is what happened at Swindon. And you know, that that's all, you know, Simon Ferry himself. You know, I've had Simon on on my podcast a couple of times. He's done a live show for me as well. And, you know, the stories, I mean, that it's a miracle that Cy si, si played more games that championship season than any other player, but he wasn't gonna play at the start because, you know. The Scots lads, they like to have a good pre-season, don't they? <laughs> so they they um—they they, um, they come back a little bit like um, football fans do in terms of shape, but they work hard throughout the season. And he was almost done because he stepped on the scales. You know, our captain was bombed out because of the baby situation. And Paul Caddis is the sort of person that tells someone to get to, you know, if, uh, yeah. if he didn't agree. And that, the cameo didn't like that. You had to just fully invest, the players did, and... You know, the stories of their sort of um their analysis sessions, I think I would have retired from the game if I had to sit through <laughs> through that, you know. That would have been just I'd have just walked, you know. <laughs> it just sounds it almost sounds like too much. And I think yeah. you're such a such a meticulous coach, that can I guess sometimes be detrimental. I mean, Sunderland had the the source issue, didn't you, about what sources? Tomorrow demands. ketchup. Yep, no yeah, tomato ketchup. Go. That probably happened at Swindon, but nobody complained about it. So it just, but the fact that these 50 grand a week players or whatever weren't allowed their HP source, it, it turned into a whole thing. But it, it's remarkable. Is it? But again, like I said at the, at the start of this sort of ramble, he, he's not working now. He left football management and he had a lot of promise, but he's just, his, his erratic behaviour Yeah, it's too much for the modern game, probably, one game. Yeah.
0: It's funny, sometimes I've thought, you know, with Paolo ever coming back in, could he maybe do a job in a, a league two, a league one? Because it's almost like when Roy Keane came to Sunderland and, and went into our championship team, players players were shit scared of him. But he, he had like a winning mentality. He was maybe not as crazy as, as Paolo came across. And he managed to get like a side up into the premiership, good first season in the premiership. But it was when he started bringing in the characters like Jibril Sissi, El Hajj like literally the worst characters you could probably bring in in terms of Joufie, in terms of like ego, especially, I would imagine. And that's when he started not really working for Ekinet. at something, whereas with Paolo, I suppose if you're going down to League Two, League One, there might be players who look at his achievements and, and think, well, he's been at the top of his game. Maybe, maybe this works, we'll just do what he does. Whereas I think Premier League players probably don't stand for it. Do you think that, which is a weird thing to say really because football is a footballer, but there is different levels with it. Do you think Paolo could maybe come back into a a League Two or League One and and maybe work? Or do you think he's done?
1: I think he's done. I think he only joined League Two Swindon because our chairman at the time was a big West Ham fan and was smitten by him and just did everything he said. You know, we won that league because we just bowed to his every... we, We spent so much money. I mean, it's interesting. I'm just trying to think if any of his signings stayed beyond a year or two. I don't Mm -hmm. think they did. I think they were all gone because of their wage demands by by the end of the 2013 season, which is when the season he left. So, you know, he made players better. This is where he might do well in a development role, like working for a football association, where he can sort of take these young kids that probably think they've made it, and turn them into better footballers. He made Simon Ferry very, very capable. Simon Ferry was had potential to be a, a world beater, but injuries got the best of him at Celtic. That's why he ended up with us. And he turned him into a very, very good player with the injury situation in mind. He made Matt Ritchie, unfortunately, for maybe for you guys, he made Matt Ritchie the player he is now. You know, Matt Ritchie was had the promise, but Decanio is the person that made him what he became at at Bournemouth it wasn't Eddie Howe it was Decanio. Bournemouth knew damn well they would get in a ready-made player um and and that's the side. so maybe a development role I I don't think sometimes he appears on bookies lists doesn't he yeah now and like again. 25 to 1 and things like that every now and again but that's that's gone now I think you it would be a narcissist owner that would appoint Decanio
0: yeah, or someone, someone who just fancies a ride for like eighteen months or, or thirteen games, as it was okay. with something. Um You
1: can't underestimate the the press, the amount of press we got during that time. was yeah. insane.
0: Yeah, and I remember it because I remember it being like, obviously, growing up, Swindon were a Premier League club for at least the season of me growing up, and I hadn't heard much of Swindon outside of ninety eight, ninety nine, and then De Cania went there, and it was like. Phew, and that was it. And it's like everyone knew about League One Wes and all that kind of stuff and all that came out. And he was always on the news. And then when he came to us, it, yeah, I suppose similar, but probably more negatives than positives, sadly. But um, I did want to chat. Wes,
1: so Wes, Wes, Wes was the legacy signing. Well done. You remembered. So, was that the yeah, only that was one? The signing he, that was the signing he made. He stuck around for a couple more years. Yeah. So Wes would have been it.
0: And is now in the Premiership, so they well Premier League. So there's another player that potentially he can take credit for. You never know, but I doubt you will. I doubt Wes would agree with that. Um, yes. <laughs> um, before we go uh, completely, I wanted to chat about the the game on on Saturday. We touched on him a little bit earlier. Um, I always ask which players you're most concerned about, but I think I pretty much knew who this was going to be. Uh, Chris Maguire obviously has that history with you. <laughs> He missed our last game with injury, but he's expected back this week. He's probably our best player, in my opinion. Are you a fan of Chris McGuire?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not as outraged by it. I was at that game where he was running around the pitch doing the seven figures, even though, you know, Oxford's interpretation of that, although they have just, Oxford have bested us over the last decade or so completely in the one-to-ones. There's no argument. I'm not going to try and sort of rose-tint that argument. But, I found it quite funny on the day, if I was honest with you. You know, we that was a relegation season. I was surprised we did as well in that game as as, as it played out. We lost two one and was was ahead for the majority of the game. It was funny. It was funny. It's one of those things. He's one of those footballers. If he gets in your skin, then he's done. He's done the job. And I kind of like that sort of stuff. It makes me laugh. I, yeah. I find it funny. If it was my team, I find it funny when it's others. If you're going to spend all day fretting about that, we had a player. Well, the player that sort of reacted to it, um, Nathan Thompson, who now plays for Peterborough. Oh, um, Nathan Thompson, yeah, with there him you there go as well. for Portsmouth. Know, the Portsmouth game, but yeah, well, he, he he was our bastard, but he's got a lovely smile and he he never he got good manners. But when he was on the pitch, he he had his moment. Really good at falling over, and we felt that yes. the other day. Um, and you know, when we beat Bristol City one game, he sort of went to the away end and sort of gave it the big one. And Bristol City fans were outraged, but we found it hilarious because yeah, it was very, course. very funny. And then when it's flipped over, Maguire does that. It's, it's it's, it's suddenly like the worst crime known to man. He's a very good footballer. He's probably should be playing at a higher level had it not been for these little sort of parts of his game yeah. where um, it's great for us in League One, but is it good enough for those championship sort of clubs and Scotland where he'd been capped already? So... You know, he's made his decision, his personality has probably prevented him from playing at a higher level, but he scores goals and he'll be one he'll be the player that Sunderland fans look back at this era and go, well, at least he gave us some some stuff. But there's plenty of I mean Lyndon Gooch, I really like. I really like Lyndon Gooch. Um, I like, I like power you know and you know the, the center forward that's just come in the one that you spoke in middlesbrough danny graham Danny Graves, yeah he, you know he he'll he's up he's your brett pitman when he gets cooking he'll score goals you know the logic is there you know there's plenty going on i mean we were trying to get will grigg from you but i don't think he's doing anything now I and mean, in that hasn't done anything at all but you've got good midfielders love grant ledbetter i used to watch him at sunderland when i lived up there quite a lot back in the day um I don't know what he does for you nowadays, but Sunderland is one of these players where, yeah, he's back on form. That's that's good because he's a good... good,
0: Had a difficult six months. Unfortunately, he had some mental health issues, took six months out with coincided with COVID and extended that period, but he's came back and been our best player since, in my uh, opinion, since the start of the season. Yeah.
1: That's good because I I liked him and I I remember there was that sad story with his dad as well, wasn't there? Yeah. A bit back in the day, and but you've got you brought in Bailey Wright, and he's all right at League One level. Bailey Wright's a good defender. So I look at your squad, and I think, oh bloody hell! Which is funny because you guys look at your squad and you say, "Oh, he's useless." And there are those same players are players that we would have at Swindon any time. And this is one of these sad things about. I always sympathise with teams of clubs the size of Sunderland when you have to slum it down with us. Um, Leeds, Sheffield Wednesday, Nottingham Forest, Leicester City, Wolverhampton Wanderers. We've all seen you come and go, but it's always been interesting. You've already graduated from this school now. When you come in, you've got a chip on your shoulder and, you know, we shouldn't be here. We're going to, you know, piss the league. We're going to, I can't see us losing this season. But then you realise that every bugger, every Accrington Stanley, every Swindon Town, every Burton Albion wants to beat you because yeah. it's their scalp and that's where this you, you've won your cup final hell yeah we've won your cup final because we want to win these games and that that's the downsize Bolton will fill that in league two at the moment you know they may not have the resources but they have the name yeah. and that's always the downside of being down there not many of the the big teams have got out of this division straight away and it's because these plucky little clubs just turn it up that little notch against against teams like Sunderland. We're, we're not, I don't think we're there. I think we are a team that is capable of pushing for a champ, for a playoff place if we can get the right players. But Sunderland have that team. You should be up. You, you're my automatics this season. Um, and that's not because you're Sunderland either. I, I, I do have you up there. So it, it, there are plenty of players in there that, that, I mean, you've got Jordan Willis, haven't you? He's all right. Yeah.
0: Great defender, yeah. to be fair. Great defender. So what's the
1: You've had a good start to the season as well. You haven't lost yet, have you?
0: Not yet. We've started okay, but it's uh yeah. the, the people listening will probably think, Yeah, yeah, you know, really valid point, which but we still don't seem to have that striker that can get twenty gold. We're hoping Danny Graham's it, but Danny Graham's you, got yeah,
1: that's all it takes. Not at he all. He didn't score first time round for Sunderland, did he? Back in the Prem, but He'd be mid thirties now. That's the that's the that's the problem, isn't it? So it's yeah, you're you're quite right. You know, I think Swindon are one of the few teams that you know beat the uh, the trend where we had a goal scorer one season in League One that scored thirty goals and we only just stayed off relegation. <laughs> so, so you know this thought that twenty five goals will probably get you into the playoffs. I don't believe it because I've seen it um thoroughly keep us up you know his goals kept this in the division one year Simon Cox that was but um it's it's not it's not a strong division this year I don't think you know it might be a good one but I don't think it's I think it is separated into a three packs you know there are standouts there's a huge pack of teams that could either finish 18th or 7th yeah. um and and then there are a few weaker teams so I, I don't and that may sound a little bit disrespectful I don't think Swindon necessarily I had us down as mid table um in my predictions. Um and I don't and I don't think that will be far off. I I just don't see it as that strong this year. And this is where I think teams like over 46 games, these teams like Portsmouth, Sunderland, and Peterborough, even Oxford who have started poorly will will get the grips and yeah. take it on. And I think fans not being in the ground at the stadium alike, sadly probably will give Parkinson a little bit more um because I've been you know I I saw some of a lot as a, when I lived up in the Northeast and when then those games turned, my goodness. I remember one. Sorry to uh divert, this is what I do, I'm afraid. Uh, I remember one which is against Wigan, Seb Larson scored, oh. and we were winning for the majority, and then Gomez scored the penalty, and then there was the mistake. I was at that game, right in line with the winner. They are oh, just the stuff I heard in the ground that day. Wow, um, Franco De Sando. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I laughed was. because it was just like as a neutral, it was genuinely exciting just listening around in the fury, um, <laughs> and that's why I love living. That's why I love living up there. You know, that's why I lived in the northeast for five years, worked in Team Valley, and and I absolutely loved the football culture up there from both both. Um, Newcastle and Sunderland side of things um as a as a neutral it was so much fun being able to just get on the metro I lived in Biker and I could just get on the metro and be at, at basically outside the stadium of light without having to think about it, it was amazing yeah. and I love it up there and I, I really have soft spots for both of the teams up there because you're a good but you're a good bunch of, you know I've worked with Mackens and Geordies and they just they wear their hearts on their sleeve and it, it's something that the south really does struggle with they don't see it they see it as just you you've got high opinions of yourselves and 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 you know goldfish bowls and all that but you're so intense you love your football you love your football team you love your local team and that's great to see and i've seen it i've felt it and it's 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 rational up there it's it's just you get those 606 callers called up and you know they're the crazy no it's, it's it's a real shame to see you down at this level um, and I, I hope you've gone because teams like Swindon can't go up when there's teams like Sunderland <laughs> causing a struggle because we always struggle against the big teams so that's why I'm predicting we'll probably we'll probably lose on Saturday I'm hoping for a draw I'm going to go
0: 2-2 ah uh, what do I take I'll take a 2-0 We've kept the clean sheet in <laughs> almost every yeah. game, apart from Bristol Rovers, which wasn't from open play. So hopefully, finally, wasn't it mm. defensively sound and moving forward? But that that couldn't have ended any better. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks very much for popping no, on, man. Rich. Appreciate it.